Good morning, church. I tell you, um, we're singing that song, Lord, Have Your Way. And though it may appear like we're inviting him to do that, and that's important, God ultimately has his way. And so we rest today in the truth and the fact that God will have his way, and that's reassuring. Because for those of us who love and serve him, that's just important to know. I hope everybody's having a good summer. I'm sure it doesn't look anything like you thought the summer of 2020 would look. Um, but you need to know that we are praying for every one of you. We love you. Uh, we are here um, in any way that we can be a support and encouragement. And I hope today that this series that we're jumping into is that. I hope it's an encouragement. Um, I know that a lot of us, we're, we are whole people. When you talk about a person, you're talking about the whole person. So that's emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, and relational. And I know as I've talked to people that um, some of those areas are on empty, that there's just this sense of drain. And I want you to know that um, there's nothing in the world that fills every one of those areas like Jesus does. And so if we can in any way be um, part of helping you fill those spaces in your life with Jesus, that's why we do what we do. And so we love you. I want to encourage you to do something today that, uh, and maybe from here on out, that we don't always do. I'm becoming more and more aware of how people grow. It, it isn't just from hearing a good message, though. Every pastor would love for that to be true. If you just hear a good message, you become a really good person. Doesn't happen that way. Um, if that was true, um, I feel like I would be a really, really, really good really incredible person because I've had some incredible um, people in my life who have preached great messages. And sometimes I, I live the truth well and other times I don't live the truth well. And so God is working on me. Here's how we grow though. We grow when something true hits us because the Holy Spirit in us um, grabs that truth that is spoken and for whatever reason wants us to process it because A, there may be a hurt that that truth is going to heal or there might be a lie that that truth is going to make right or there may be something within us that the enemy is using and God wants to break you free. And so there is a truth and, and in 30 minutes of preaching, I think there might be just one but I would hope there's a lot that as you sit here, um, wherever you may be this morning, and you hear something that the Holy Spirit goes, that needs to be chewed on, that you would take it and note it. You would write it down. And so here's my challenge. If something is said and it strikes something in you for good or for bad, whether that's a defensiveness, it's a, oh, I don't like that, or I love that, or why do I like that, whatever it might be, write it down, note it. Because what we want to do within community today and even all through this week is we want you to chew on that truth. And, and like anything, sometimes we chew on something and we don't like it right away. And so we spit it out and community is there to, to catch it when you spit it out and give it back to you and help you continue to chew on it. And then when you begin to say, Hey, this is what I think God is saying. Community is around you to say, I'm not sure if that matches the word of God or that matches the word of God. And together we get to heal and grow. It's when that truth is chewed on and it gets to our hearts and it changes us from the inside out, that's how people grow. And it's not in one setting. So note it, then share it with somebody, and then let's live it. What would happen if we begin to live the truths of God's word in our life? So we're in this series, Asking for a Friend, and I just want to say thanks for sending questions. We've got um, anywhere from 30 to 40 questions that people have sent in, and some doozies. And so I'm just going to go be honest right up front. If you sent a question, we are not going to get to all of those. That would be 30 weeks. 
or 40 weeks, uh, because each one of them deserves some time to unpack. Uh, and we may try to figure out other ways that we can answer some of these in different series as we move forward. Um, but I want these answers over these next couple of weeks to actually be an encouragement to you, at least the answer to the question, be an encouragement to your heart and to your soul, because I believe that's what God's word does for us. Whether it's rebuking us, correcting us, building us, lifting us up, it is good for us. And so having said that, I'm discovering more and more that the Bible is an incredibly practical book. And now I'm almost 50, and some of you are saying it took you that long. I'm just saying I'm discovering more and more that it is so practical. Not only does it tell us so much about God and who he is, and that's incredibly important, but it also tells us in really, really practical ways how he wants us to live. It's a filter for life. And I would say to you that any question that comes in my life, any question, whether it comes from people in my life or it comes from within me, needs to be filtered through the word of God. Every question. And so that's what our desire is to do. We see in 2 Peter 1.3, by his divine power, by God's, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything right here. The word of God equals power for the way we live our lives. The Holy Spirit within us equals power to help us live a godly life. Godly people in our life. Notice I said godly people. I didn't say perfect people. I just said godly people. People who just want to live like Jesus lived equals power in our life when we surround ourselves with people. So if you want to know what you believe about the Bible, pay attention to the kinds of questions you ask it. Matter of fact, pay attention if you ask it questions because the answers are right here. And it starts with Jesus. There's a quote from an author that kind of describes the power of diving into God's word to find the answers from God. Uh, and, and this is what it says. I could never word anything like this. It's beautiful. The Bible is neither a museum nor an antique shop, but rather a rough and durable world made for explorers. As we open this book, God bids us to climb the mountains of his majesty, dive into the seas of his mysteries, and bore down into the minds of his infinite mind. We cannot run too hard on these hills or gaze too deep into these stars. We cannot exhaust these oceans, silence these thunderstorms, or break these granite rocks. We can only be exhausted, silenced, broken, and captivated by them. The questions that we bring to the Bible pose no threat to this world like the world thinks it does. It only draws us deeper into its amazing wonders and goodness. So we simply look for the answer to all life's questions in these pages. And so you need to know as we answer these questions, this is where they come from. And we will do our best to honor God and his truth. So what question are we going to answer today? Here it is. When Paul, this is the question, when Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh, what is he talking about? <laughs> If you've been around Christianity or been a Jesus follower for any length of time, you've processed in some form or another this question. As a matter of fact, I've actually preached several messages on this passage. And actually, every time I do, I, I learn something new about the beauty and wonder and love of God. 
especially in this. We get the term thorn in the flesh from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 5 through 10. So if you have the word of God with you, I would love for you to stand with me wherever you are, whether you're outside, inside, by yourself, or with community. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 5. I want you to know before I read this that Paul has just talked about a vision, a revelation he had from God of God. If you go back to chapter 11, which we should always do, you should look at what's on side of every verse. It's important to get the whole counsel of God. In chapter 11, Paul has just talked about all of the things that he has accomplished in life, good, and all the things that have happened to him bad, all of the triumphs and all of the trials. And then he has this revelation of God, and then in verse 5, here's what he said. That experience is worth boasting about. This revelation of God, God gives him a vision. If you've ever had a vision from God, it is the most humbling, powerful, awesome thing. And so Paul says that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weakness. It's like Paul saying, I'm not gonna go, hey, God, talk to you. He showed me some things. He showed you, probably not, but he showed me. (laughs) Paul's saying, I'm not going to do that. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. Paul has some things to boast about, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times. Some of you are like, how many times did we ask God to do that? Three here. He just kept asking. I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and trouble that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is not the message of our culture today. But that is the message of the cross. That is the message of Jesus. That is the message of the kingdom. And that is our hope today. The word of God. So Lord, in these moments, we hold really loosely to what we think and we want to grasp really tightly to what you think and that it would become something we believe in the depths of our hearts and we would not be controlled by our flesh but by the spirit that is alive in us. It is that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He lives in us as followers of you. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to guide us. I pray that there is something today that would jump out and it would be a truth that could be chewed on and it would transform a heart, many hearts in Jesus' name, amen. So I have a thorn in the flesh, maybe several. I don't like it. I wish at times I didn't have it. Matter of fact, I wish all the time I didn't have it. At times I'm incredibly frustrated by it. As I'm assuming Paul was, it makes almost everything harder. 
And it's always there with me, whether I'm carrying out family responsibilities or my job responsibilities or doing ministry or just being with people in general, it weakens me. I often feel that I would be more effective and fruitful without it. Matter of fact, I've told God that. I think I could do way better as a person, as a follower of Jesus, if you would just deal with this thing. Sometimes I weep before the Lord that he would take it. That it would be removed or that I would have the power to overcome it. But it's still there. Dang it. Now I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> I'm not afraid to tell you what it is. The details of my thorn in the flesh aren't relevant to the point I want to make. Just like it's not relevant to the point that Paul's trying to make. You and I knowing what Paul's thorn is, isn't the point. Here's why we want to know why or what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. Because if it's not something that we can relate to, then we don't have to listen to this passage. If I can eliminate this one, I don't have to follow it. That's part of it. The question we really want to ask, and sometimes when we're doing these questions, by the way, there's a deeper question. So we got the question, but then there's the question behind the question. And sometimes we don't know the question behind the question. So let me see if I can interpret the question behind the question. The question we really want to ask isn't what is Paul's thorn in the flesh, but what is ours? What is yours? And why is it there? And how is God using it in my life? Simply put, you have your own thorn in the flesh or if you live long enough, you're going to be given one or more. And yeah, it will be different than mine, but his purpose will be the same. Why? Because we're given thorns that significantly weaken us in order to make us stronger. It's a point. And don't get me wrong. It's not important that we know what Paul's thorn was, but it doesn't mean that we haven't obsessed over it as a church or as the church, or as Christians. Do you know what it is? People asking all the time what it is. God has told me, you don't know. We don't know what it is. But here's some guesses, and maybe this will help us relate a little bit, because the groupings are large. And in general, there's been a lot of speculation over the years that Paul's thorn could have been a physical affliction. Or since he referred to his thorn as a harassing messenger of Satan, he could have had vulnerable to significant spiritual and psychological struggles. That would be um, okay. First of all, he persecuted Christians and killed them. Then God shows up and transforms him. And then he becomes persecuted. Stoned. Left for dead. Walking through trials. People turning their back on him. Rejection, rejection, rejection. After re I don't blame him if it's psychological or emotional or mental or just a spiritual struggle that he had. You want to talk about somebody who's been through it. Or the thorn could have been the false brothers and sisters constantly following him and wreaking havoc in the churches that he planted. We see that in 2 Corinthians 11. Or it might have been something else altogether. The fact that we really don't know what Paul's thorn was turns out to be both merciful to us and instructive to us. It's merciful because given the various possibilities we all can identify with Paul to some degree in our own afflictions. 
We all have stuff. If you have stuff, just say amen. It's instructive because what Paul's thorn was isn't the point. The point is what God's purpose was for the thorn. And so we just got to get that in our heads. It's the purpose of the thorn. And Paul makes two really interesting statements about this thorn in the same sentence in verse 7, the second part of the verse. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud, which is so important, church. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Why is it there? Why is this thorn there? I have a thorn. We all have a thorn. Paul had a thorn. It's not clear what it was. not always clear what it is for us. Why is it there? Because God gave it to him. God gave him his thorn. It's clear from the context that Paul identified God as his thorn giver, not Satan. Whether it was God directly gave it or allowed it doesn't really matter. He understood that God's purpose was to keep him humble and dependent on Jesus' power. That's verse 9. Humble and dependent on Jesus' power. I would say in my, I'll speak for me, and then if you agree in your own heart, you can just say amen to yourself. I would say I could use more dependency and humility on the power of Jesus in my life today. Now, most of us can't identify with the sorts of revelations that Paul was given. And when we read the kinds of suffering that Paul experienced in 2 Corinthians 11, there's a list there. If you want to go back and read those, I would encourage that. It's probably safe to assume that our thorns don't pierce as deeply as his did, though some might. And you can relate, but God's purpose in our thorns like his is the same. That's why this is in his word. So that we can gain the encouragement in our lives that Paul gained in his. And here we see really clearly that God disciplines his children with affliction in order to protect them from having their joy destroyed by the sin of pride. Now let me unpack that. Pride in all of its ways, in all of its manifestations is our deepest sin. Matter of fact, you could interview every person that ends up in hell. And by the way, that was one of the questions that hopefully we'll get to is why is there a hell? We'll talk about that. There is a hell. Pride is one of the things if you interview or had the chance that every person in hell will be guilty of because it's what motivates us to our deepest core of sin. Pride in all of its ways is our deepest sin and the most dangerous to us spiritually. The most dangerous to us spiritually. Anything that God gives us to keep us humble and prayerfully dependent on him is an incredible gift. (laughs) You're like, "Ah, that feels like a return gift. I'm just saying, I get a gift like that, I'm going to return it. (laughs) And we try. One of the ways we try to return it is we get mad at God. There's a lot of ways. Too much pride means we can't be challenged because we think we're right. We're successful enough that we should be telling you what to do, not you telling us. Too much pride We have an inability to admit when we're wrong. 
And I don't know about you, but when I look at Jesus, I have a whole lot to admit about what I want to be like that I'm not yet. But God is working on me. And so here we see really clearly that God disciplines his children, his kids, his sons and his daughters with affliction in order to protect them from having their, their real true joy, the thing we're actually seeking in the world but can only find in Jesus, destroyed by the sin of pride. Think about that. Pain can protect us from pain. Restorative pain can protect us from destructive pain. The, the, the pain of pride, the pain that it will bring, which by the way is I'm in control. So it comes because it's all about me and what I want and I need and God has nothing to do with it. And then if I hand it to God, God has it. And so he allows something or causes something to come because he knows that that restorative pain will be better than the destructive pain. And he's protecting us. Let's go one level deeper. deeper. Why, is it, why is it there? This passage tells us the restorative pain God gave to Paul to protect him from the destructive pain of his pride was delivered or given to him by a messenger or an angel of Satan. <laughs> Isn't it cool that as followers of Jesus, we have power over the enemy through Christ? So we don't have to be afraid of a messenger of Satan. Paul doesn't go into detail here because he figures not only can we handle this, this whole thought, but he, he figures we understand it. Satan pierces us with a thorn from God. Paul feels no need to qualify or explain how God can give his son or daughter a restorative gift of pain through an evil means. Why? Because this happens all throughout the Bible. It was Joseph who said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God was doing something in Joseph that would set up the children of Israel for the future, that they would become a nation. And so he allows it or uses it to make Joseph into who he needed to be. So Joseph says, you meant evil against me. Everything you tried to do, God meant it. So God knew about it for his good. Genesis 50, 20. And he knows that the most restorative gift of pain in history, which was the cross, the death of Jesus was given us through the evilest means. Simply put, our thorn may have been put there by evil means, but we can be sure of one thing. It will only be one more way that God disarms the rulers and authorities of this age and puts them to open shame, which he tells us in Colossians 2.15. Through the death of Jesus, he put them to shame. <sighs> Our God is so powerful and so wise that he can work all things, including our Satan-delivered thorns for our good, Romans 8, 28. And when we trust in this kind of God-ordained work, it fuels our joyful, confident contentedness while experiencing the weakness and weariness of our affliction in the same moment. That's why in James, he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials and difficulties because God is making you into the image of his son. How does God use it? This thorn, he uses it to weaken us. I love, I love when people say of the church or Christianity or Jesus that he's a crutch. Mm -hmm. 
There ain't many people that will step in to a life of being weakened if they need a crutch. It's the ones who can't admit they're weak that need the crutch. That's another sermon. Just like Paul's, our thorns weaken us. And sometimes they're visible to others, but often they're hidden from public view. That's, we do that. Known only to those who know us best and sometimes not known enough. And they're never romantic or cool or the things of heroes. Rather, they're almost always humble. They humble us in embarrassing ways, not heroic ways. They not only seem to slow or stop our effectiveness and fruitfulness, Remember my argument with God that I could do this better if I didn't have that? But they also are more likely to detract from rather than enhance our reputations. <laughs> Let me say that again. They not only seem to slow or stop our effectiveness and fruitfulness, but they're also more likely to detract from rather than enhance our reputations. Which is why we, like Paul, plead with God to take them away. But this is the way thorns have to be. God thorns. Because if they're noble and heroic, if they enhanced our reputations, they wouldn't be of any help at all in guarding us from our deeply rooted pride, would they? Matter of fact, it would only increase our pride. Which is why, as with Paul, God often answers our pleas for deliverance with a no. No. My kids, um, somewhere along the way, and I, I love them. I, 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 have a, I have incredible kids. These, they're, they're my, somewhere along the way, though, the definition of no got lost. Um, and I find myself trying to redefine no a lot of ways. I don't know if any other parents do that. Like, okay, so let's try no a different way. Um, no. So it's not going to happen. <laughs> And I, what, what I, and I was like this as a child. As kids, we're like, no is not no. No is just I need to reword it. <laughs> I need to re, rework it. Or I just need to say it enough times that I break them down. <laughs> how, many, how many parents out there are just like, I'm not going to be broken down ever? And then how many are like, oh, three or four times and I'm done. Fight's over. <laughs> We do that to God. We do that to God. And there's always a reason for the no, isn't there? There is. As a parent, I think about the reasons I'm saying no. It's literally just to make their life miserable. Like, I don't want them to have any fun. I don't want them to enjoy life. I don't want them to grow. Anything. Sarcasm. Those of you who understand sarcasm speak, you were with me. No, I say no because inherently in me is a father heart that wants to protect my kids, prepare my kids, help my kids, love my kids. And so no, it has a, has a reason because I have a top view that they don't have. And if God has a no, it's because there's a reason. He has a top view we don't have. And so when you hear a no from God, you should go, yes. Yes. Not asking again. That's fine. It's no. 
He's got another reason. It's got to be good because it's God. And he's my dad. My dad loves me and he cares about me. He's for me and he, we're in this. And so, whoo, no. Okay. Versus, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you get the point. I could, I could keep, keep going, but. Mm. Because without the thorn, we would never experience all that God has for us. So he says, no. And so God's grace is sufficient for us. And if you need to put another word, Jeremy, a couple weeks back at at the end of the year, talked about that real grace, like extravagant grace at its fullest extravagance is love. It's just love. His love is sufficient for us, that his power is made perfect in weakness. Why? Because we give him the glory and we don't take it. This is the reason we have our thorns. They are weakeners that strengthen us. And without them, we would choose a weaker strength and miss experiencing the glory of God's power and grace and realize lesser joy as a result because pride is robbing joy all the time. It's just one more wonderful kingdom paradox. Our incredibly difficult thorns end up producing greater joy in us and ultimately make us more effective and fruitful. I say this, I've said this a lot recently. Um, I don't trust people that don't walk with a limp. Now let me qualify. Joseph, or Jacob wrestled with God. Joseph didn't, I mean kind of, he might have. But Jacob wrestled with God and God gave him a limp to remind him of all the goodness of God in the midst of his weakness. And every one of us have weaknesses. Every one of us have areas we don't want the world to see. And yet too often in the church, we try to hide our limp. That's where messy church comes in. Messy church is a bunch of people in church walking around like this. And when I see people who walk around with a limp, who sit there going, yeah, I got some stuff, but God's working on it. And he's making me new. Tripping. And I go to those people and I go, oh, tell me about the limp. Tell me about what God's been teaching you. That you're secure enough in your identity in him that you don't mind it showing a little bit. Tell me about your thorn. The more we press into this paradox, the more we'll say with Paul. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because there's a humility and dependence on Jesus that is needed to live this life. And I am embracing that. When the thorn becomes a gift, hear me. When the thorn becomes a gift, it's no longer an instrument in Satan's hands, but a weapon in the hands of an awesome God in your life, in your heart. When the thorn becomes a gift. Paul prayed three times that God would take it away. How do I know if I have a thorn? Let's process this together and then we'll go. What's a thorn in your life? Well, there are times as followers of Jesus in our dependency, we pray. Matter of fact, we only show our dependency when we pray. 
when we look to God and say, I need you. I want to know you. I need your power at work in my life. I can't do this by myself. And by the way, God, as I'm, as I'm going here, this is, this is what my heart desires. And there are times that God will answer those prayers. And we can celebrate the goodness and greatness of God in those moments. But I want you to hear me. There are times he takes things away that we've asked him to take away. And there are other times he doesn't. And when he doesn't, there might be a gift that needs to be unwrapped. The thing you've been asking God to take away, the no you've been arguing with, the many times you've just re-represented it, God might be saying no because it's something actually beautiful in your life if you'll let it be. It's a thorn that comes with the love and beauty of God. And it's teaching you about Jesus. And it's humbling. And man, it proves you can't do it by yourself in a world that's screaming autonomy and independence. (laughs) No. Dependent fully on Jesus. Humbled by my need for him. And willing to walk the path because his grace is sufficient. So I'll make it. I'll make it. And you'll make it. And on the other side, we might just look a lot more like Jesus. I think that's true. Let's pray. God, I pray for my friends. Pray for the people of this church. We've been, in my opinion, Lord, sold on some lies that we deserve certain things because of the culture we live in. A lot of those things we think we deserve, you never promised. But what you did promise was that if we would give our lives to you, you would, in our surrender, begin to make us like Jesus. And that doesn't happen through everything being done for us that we want done for us. It happens often in the trials and the hardships, the persecution and the pain. And so we lean in and we say, Holy Spirit, help us and give us strength because we're weak. And where we limp, God, I pray that that limp wouldn't define us anymore but it would be a gift, a reminder of a gift that you have given us where you are at work the most in our lives and loving all over us, keeping us humble and dependent so that we can know what true joy looks like through Jesus, fully content that you got us. And we'll celebrate all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.